0: And welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at Chainalytics, and today I'm joined by Brent Hutto, Chief Relationship Officer at truckstop.com. Brent's been in the industry for over 20 years, holding a wide variety of different roles. His focus has been on brand consulting, product development, distribution channel management, marketing communications, and research. He's been with truckstop.com for a little over six years, first as Chief Marketing Officer, and now as Chief Relationship Officer, and we'll talk to him a little more about what that means. Following our talk, I'll be joined by Dr. Enam Ayub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. So welcome to the Freightbind podcast, Brent. Let's start off with an obvious question. What does a Chief Relationship Officer actually do at truck stop?
1: Yeah, you know that's a great question, Chris. Uh, first off, happy to be here. Uh, really love being a part of it, and so thank you for uh, you know inviting us to be here with you. A uh, chief relationship officer at Truckstop. That's one of those new titles, you know, in the industry. Right. You know, it's all about the relationship, and um, we're a, a platform and a service that uh, connects hundreds of thousands of people in the marketplace. So my my job is to help our company have the best connected relationships in the marketplace so we can serve our customers the best. And, and so what I do every day is I, I talk to technology players, I talk to the media, I talk to industry influencers, I talk to really important people like yourself, just to connect us to the the broad marketplace. And Trucking and freight transportation is a trillion dollar marketplace and we right. want to be as connected as we can uh, so we can serve the market.
0: Right. So when you talk about relationship, you're talking about to external parties or are you talking also to your customers, whether it's the carriers or the shippers, the movers of freight?
1: Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's both. Um, I, okay. my, my job is to is to make sure our, our company is, is connected to as many external technologies so we can create one great network. And then it's also right. to really understand how our carriers, and for us, it's third, third-party logistics players or brokerage companies right. that right. we do business with that connect to those shippers that you're talking about. So my job is to make sure we've got the best connections to understand what the third-party logistics company and the carrier needs in order so we can connect out in the marketplace. And, and in that, That gives us the ability to service them as best as possible.
0: Makes sense. Now, truckstop.com is a really interesting company because you were the first load board on the internet. And and put it this into perspective because a lot of listeners won't think this far. It was 1995. Amazon was one year old. The iPhone was 12 years away. At this point, I think Mosaic was the dominant browser. (laughs) The 56K modem hadn't even come out yet. So-
1: Wow. How has this changed? And so what what does truck stop look like today and how has it evolved over the oh, years? Oh, man. Uh, after 24 years, we, I mean, we're like an old person inside of the industry when you're a, when you're a 24-year-old technology. Uh, we started out as a SaaS-based product before SaaS was even a word, which has given us a, a real advantage because we were able to take data and make it available. And what I mean by data is all the information you need to move freight. We made it available to all parts of the marketplace. Prior to 1995, the third-party logistics industry, because of the way they had their companies arranged, were the ones that had all the data and the carriers that run inside of the spot market. That's what truckstop.com is in the middle of didn't really get to see any of the information. And so in 1995, we said, you know, there's a big need for this marketplace to be able to work better together. And so we launched truckstop.com and opened it up to the carrier marketplace. Now, when I say carriers, I don't mean the big carriers like a Swift or a Schneider or right, something like that. Right. I mean, one, two, three truck owner operators. So um, we opened up the data to them so they could be able to efficiently run their business. And, and um, it has grown dramatically ever since. And to kind of give you an idea, in percent. Of all the freight that's inside of this trillion-dollar marketplace was run on the spot market. After 25 years, 24 years, and being open and getting the marketplace to be transparent, now it's north of 25%. So the marketplace has and then that's where the the, the growth inside of this industry has been, is in the third-party logistics and brokerage industry. And it's been because the freight has moved there, because it's an efficient way for the industry to move freight.
0: So 1995, when that started, deregulation was only you know, a decade plus old. So people were still figuring it out. I know when I used to do auctions back in the late nineties, trying to do contract uh, rates for shippers, we found that, you know, spot was a dirty word, right? And so now we're finding more that that most shippers are using brokerage and spot as part of their overall portfolio.
1: And it seems like that's been a big change over the years. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it it has grown uh, to give you an idea um you know we started out with very few brokers using our service and 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 no carriers and today we use uh, there's 62,000 carrier accounts that use the service it's about 200,000 trucks and there's 10,000 brokers that use those every day. The marketplace is very different than what it was. You're right. It used to be like, oh gosh, I got to go to the spot market. You, uh, it's so hard to deal with. And But it's very different today. And and what I mean by that is that freight is it's an anywhere marketplace now. It used to be for a backhaul where you tried to get a rate at least to get home or maybe a headhaul to get mm-hmm. somewhere to get the freight you might normally haul. Well, now it's an anywhere to anywhere. So 70% Of all of the searches that are done on truckstop.com's platform every year are from anywhere to anywhere. And that's about 350 billion freight searches. So it's its own marketplace. And it's that way because it's competitive. As the data has been in the marketplace, people can create competition with each other and the marketplace moves more and more efficiently.
0: Yeah, so you were definitely the first. Yeah, absolutely. But you're not the only one Oh, out no, there now. no, not at all. And so, so there, yeah, digital freight matching. Uh, it, it seems like uh, Silicon Valley finally discovered trucking <laughs> about five years ago and pumped a ton of money into right. it. So how are you finding yourself evolving? How do you differentiate against other players in the in the market?
1: A differentiation is, you know, after a quarter of a century can be difficult. What you see with the new people coming to the marketplace is they're typically not in our space. So they're not a load board or they're not a freight matching network. They are a technology enabled brokerage. So it's a brokerage that built their platform on technology, not on sort of human effort. And so those types of customers that have come in the marketplace, and if you notice, I said customers, it's because they are, they end up being customers of TruckStop because where they are trying to build their business and they're trying to get carriers to work with them, they're no different than any other brokerage. Um, We are very different than those types of companies because we access the entire marketplace. So we are a middleware platform where carriers and brokers can work together. And we service, like I said, 10,000 of one and 60,000 plus of of the other end, and we bring them together. So there's, there's really not a whole lot when we talk about competition in the marketplace. For what we do, there's not a lot of competition, but there is a lot of competition for freight. And what we do is enable the players in the market to be able to compete better.
0: So this uh, benefit to be able to compete, I imagine it, it's different because you've got three main players out there, right? You've got the carriers, the brokers, and, and the shippers who own the, the freight at the end of the day. So how does this benefit each of those differently?
1: Yeah, certainly. When we talk about every product's created to create a benefit, you know, and so how how do you do that? I, I think the most important thing to look at is what I mentioned a couple minutes ago, which was data transparency. It, all relationships
0: mm-hmm.
1: are based on trust. and Inside of the freight transportation industry, trust is not always there because you've got two parties that are trying to negotiate a price on something. And right. there's not always a trust factor between the two of them, unless you have a common amount of data that they can agree on or a common piece of information they can agree on, and which is usually price. So we provide the broker information and we provide the carrier the same information on price so they can actually come to a price that they can both live with. And because the spot market is dynamic, so it's not like at the contracted market or the dedicated market where prices are negotiated, they're sort of set in a contract and they, they, they somewhat stay constant the whole year. The spot market is... $3 a mile on one day and $1.75 on the same marketplace two days later. So it's a a very dynamic market. So if you can get the parties to agree on price, the carriers and the brokers, then you create a marketplace that has much better efficiency. So what we do at our basis is provide information to carriers and to brokers so they can run their business faster. And um, it's a lot of fun to watch them work much better together today than they did 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, sure. It, it's funny. You talk about, uh, you know, transportation moves on trust. And I, I agree with that because uh, contracts in transportation are a little weird, right? They commit to price, but they don't necessarily commit to volume and all those little quirks that are out that they're all familiar with. But do you see a lot of repeat business, same broker working with the same carrier? Do you see that or do you even have visibility into that? Or is it more that you provide the
1: transparency and the trust with your with your numbers, with the data you provide? Right. We do see a a picture of that. Absolutely. So when you look at this marketplace, got an independent business in a carrier and you've got an independent Mm -hmm. business in a broker and the broker would love for the carrier that hauls that that load on the spot market to haul the next one or the next one or the next one. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. To give you an idea, the data that we see is that and this is on an average over all of the carriers, uh, they use an average of 18 different brokers every month. So this is the one, and when I, talk, when I talk about carriers, Chris, what I mean is carriers that are independent owner operators that own one to nine trucks. So these guys use an average, an average, now, you know, granted that's all across the spectrum. They use 18 different brokers every single month. And here's why. And everybody always asks me, God, why don't they just go back to this broker over and over and over? It's because of the independent nature right. of the carrier that is hauling the freight. These guys are independent businessmen that want to run their business anywhere they want to go and they value freedom over anything else. They want to have the freedom to choose how they run their business and where they haul their freight. And so these guys want to move all over the country and they'll haul freight in the Northeast and then the Southeast and the West and wherever they can find the best rates. And so that, so it's very different than the contractor dedicated market when it comes to how you're going to be able to work in it. And if you know that you can move freight a lot faster.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny. I saw that comment. I was going to bring that up a little later. At the, you mentioned that at the 2019 uh, FTR right. yeah, annual conference last month, I think. But you are, and I agree with that. Having met with a bunch of owner operators and doing mm-hmm. doing some work uh, with those guys, yeah, there's a definite independent streak,
1: and so they, there's a feeling they don't want to be tied down to just one. Right, absolutely. Well, I mean, I spent a couple of decades working with owner operators uh, when I worked for Overdrive Magazine, so I've been around them for a long uh, time. And I used to okay. do a lot of research, and I always love uh, doing the focus groups and doing research with with these guys because you get to know them a lot better. And if you, when you get to know the, it, it, I wouldn't call them a customer to the broker; they're they're a vendor, but they're they're a partner because you have to have a truck to move freight. And so, if you really kind of know know their desires, then you can match freight up that fits their need if you, if you kind of look at yeah. them as just a uh, commodity, then you're probably only going to get like what a lot of brokers get, which is one piece of freight hauled per year. And so what you, in order to build right. that, you just kind of understand what their needs are. And, um, but it's a, it's a really fun marketplace to work in. No. And, th- and they're a very
0: vital part of, uh, you know, everything can't move contract, right? Cause sure. that's planned freight is only so much. And we saw that in 2017 to 2018 mm. when, you know. Things went to hell, <laughs> and it got really tight in there. And spot went way north of twenty five percent. Oh yeah, that absolutely. Year, that time yeah. frame, but I think the owner operators serve a really vital role. Not only in that they fill the gaps and they, you know, the demand. They they are the thing that can is the most dynamic. But they're also canaries in the coal mine. You see rates rise. Eventually, you'll see contract rates rise. Not immediately, but it's a nice
1: leading indicator. Yeah, absolutely. We we see this and certainly with your expertise and and longevity in the market, you've seen it over time where there's about somewhere between a 90 to 180 day window where the spot market, as it begins to change, the contract market will change depending on the dynamics uh, 90 to 180 days later. And so you see those things that if the spot market rates are coming up, you're going to look in about six months, the the contract rates will start to come up because the, the marketplaces get pressure on them. And, and you you were talking about what it looked like in, in 2017, 2018. Well, it was obviously really, really, really good for the carriers and the brokers inside of the spot market because the rates were super high because the capacity had just shifted I mean like just shifted like two percent towards spot and you saw the chaos. I mean, could you imagine what would happen if it went five or seven percent? It would just be it'd be so difficult. It's it's
0: crazy, and so it's funny. I, I up here at MIT, I do some uh, symposiums and everything, and I had a bunch of shippers, and and, and I had a free form poll where they had to say what one word describes. 2017, 2018, it was all horrible, <laughs> crisis, whatever. And then I I had one guy from owner-operators, Tom Weekly, mm-hmm. and he was saying, it was a great year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it depends on what side you're on. But let me ask a question about owner-operating, because also at this annual conference last month, you made another statement, which I found really surprising. You said that
1: a recent polling of owner-operators showed that 88% are willing to be tracked. That floors me. And I'm, I'm with you, Chris. It was shocking to me, too being around these guys as long as I have usually anytime you get oversight or you know big brother in there it's not no but heck no I want nothing right. to do with it and they fought visibility for a long time they fought tracking for forever and if you had asked me 3 years ago i think the percentage was less than 20% would have said yeah you can track me and and that was a that was a hollow claim because they would be like yeah right. you can track me but i'm not going to sign up for it <laughs> so yeah yeah so it was tough but what you're seeing is the acceptance of a norm. And the norm is being tracked is no different than when you order something from uh Amazon and it gets shipped to your house via FedEx or UPS and you can track it at every single station. And the acceptance and normality of tracking today is just it's the table stakes. And so right. you see owner operators after a while, because look, they're not owner operators because it's a job. It's their lifestyle. It's who they are. It's what they do. They're not going to exit trucking just because they don't like a part of it. They're going to adapt and adjust to it and say, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do that because I love to drive my truck. And And so I'm not surprised that it's finally gotten there. I, I kind of made this prediction inside a truck stop a couple of years ago that it would be a commodity, eventually would be wildly accepted. And so I'm not surprised to see that. What I was surprised to see is that the average age of owner operators came down. Right. That is also shocking. Yeah. And that was a that was really unique. Now remember, the average age of the owner operator has been at fifty six since I entered in nineteen ninety eight. Well, through our polling this year, we try to keep up with it pretty regularly because these are you know these are our are the guys that that make our business possible. Right. So we we looked at it and it dropped four percent, which is almost it's just a little over two years. That is a major. I mean, I've never seen it move more than a tenth. I mean, for it to drop that much, that that's a big change. And then then also the idea that you're getting more education. They have higher higher education, which means that a younger group is coming in. As the age comes down, a more educated group is mm-hmm. coming in. So you're seeing a little bit of a transition in this marketplace for uh, people that say, you know what, I can I can run a business there. Right. Do you think they're more technologically savvy? Well, I do. I do. Well, I, I think it's necessary for them to be able to have the freedom they want. So these guys you know, they have cell phones and iPads and laptops. And because there's connectivity everywhere, it's not hard for them to be able to run their business from the road, which is where they want to be Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway. So I definitely think there's a lot more tech savviness built into this, but it's not like they live in social media or they live for the internet. It's just part of running their business. You know, you raise a really good point up
0: until Gosh, maybe five years ago, you still needed a home station to run your business, but now you can almost run your entire business off your phone yeah, or certainly a tablet. Certainly. I, I can't think of the last time I personally went to a bank. I receive checks, I deposit checks, I do everything on banking on my phone. Usually, when I'm commuting to work, you know, I take the tea, so I'm not driving while doing this, so it's safe. <laughs> but it's it, that's a big
1: change because this means they can possibly stay on the road longer. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, technology has helped them be more efficient in their business. Not only just by seeing like, for instance, if you were an owner operator before truck stop came online in 1995, you had no idea where the freight was. You had to stop at a truck stop and look at a TV. right? And then you had to go run to the pay phone. Or if you had a mobile phone at that time, you could make a cell call, but you had to run to the phone to call somebody. And now today you can look at I mean, today on, on truck Stop, there were 375,000 loads on the system. And, yeah. and this is, this is somebody that's using our system who might have two trucks and he has access, he or she has access to the entire marketplace right there on their mobile phone. And that's just uncommon. Mm-hmm. And, and think about it. None of us want to wait for anything. If you have to wait more than four seconds on the page to render and being able to see what's on there, if you do a Google search or something like that, we all get impatient. What's the same? It's the same in, the same in freight. There's an expectation that I can see everything all at once and I can make a decision really fast. And we see that reflected in how fast freight moves. Yeah. You know what? That's another good point. I was listening to
0: something yeah. earlier today and they they talked about you know, do you remember when you used to have to stand on a curb with your arm up hailing (laughs) a cab? Sure. And it's like, yeah, I'll use a cab now if there's a cab line, but uh, you just call up Uber or Lyft or whatever, and you get used to it and you get angry when they're three minutes away. And so maybe that's also bleeding into these norms because also these drivers also use other services where you, the location and the tracking is kind of common. If you order anything online, you know where it is. So maybe it's just
1: a norm that everyone is starting to accept? Well, I think it is. I think that we all like to be comfortable and we all like efficiency or at least efficiency that serves us. And, and who doesn't like that you can uh, just get on your phone and you know when the car is going to get there if you do Uber or Lyft or any of the other ride hailing services. Right. Um, and, and so freight's no different. Carriers that work in the marketplace, the, the brokers that work in the marketplace, they want technology that allows them to move freight with more volume and more velocity. And if you can provide that to them, then, then the marketplace gets better. I mean, you asked you ask me about the new players that have come in the marketplace, and, and it's all because the technology is being used broadly into the marketplace, and people are accepting a new norm. Right. I mean, so there's going to be a, a big technological revolution inside of freight transportation in the next three to five years, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun to be in it. So what do you think that
0: transformation
1: is going to be? What, what new technologies do you think are going to drive that? to me it's just it's like is something revolutionary or is it evolutionary and and you think about there's there's mm-hmm. half a million freight transportation companies in the United States it's probably better that it's evolutionary and it just it, it slowly rolls through the market so what what you'll see is you'll see any type of connected technology that can connect into the workflow of the freight moving, whether it be on the shipper broker end or the carrier end, and then all those having a connected network to work through so they can be able to make decisions very quickly on the acceptance and moving of freight. So to me, it's not as much a technology as as much of connected systems being able to be together inside of the workflow for the marketplace. So you'll see that. And if you if you could, you could have the best technology in the marketplace, have the coolest AI, machine learning, that piece in, inside of the marketplace. But if it sits outside of someone's workflow, you're costing them money in order for them to use it. It has to be inside of the, the network that they use. And so it's not the easiest thing. I mean, right now, a piece of freight, in order for it to move, it takes about 14 clicks and about... Eight independent systems to take it from the freight being viewed, tendered, paid, and analyzed. They're not connected. You got to get it to one connected system in about four or five clicks so it can move.
0: Well, do you think that this has gotten better? Is it faster to book and takes less time? I'm Certainly since 1995, right? And it, so it has it, it
1: steadily improved or has oh, it been yeah. like a big sea change? Yeah, has it? Oh, it's been incredible. To give you an idea. Today, if you are a brokerage company that has freight to move for your shipper customers and you go to to truckstop.com or or any load board, I'm sure it's similar, and you put in all the information, including your rate, the freight moves in 60 seconds or less. Mm. And we're talking about a carrier having to come onto a freight matching platform and look at a tremendous amount of information. If If they don't have it in their face, being able to look at it very quickly to make a decision, they lose the opportunity because somebody else takes it. So all this technology has absolutely sped up the acceptance of rate in the marketplace and which which has made the marketplace grow from that 4% right, to right. that north of 25% that I talked about.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's important that your point about the process, the technology has to be part of the standard workflow. And that's why initially I was worried about mobile connectivity being outside the workflow, but eventually it, you know it's found its way back in. So let me switch topics a little bit. Um, so end of 2019 is when all the, uh, automated onboard recording devices, the AOBRDs have to move to ELDs. How has this impacted your carrier base or the efficiency of your operations?
1: Well, that, that's a, that's a really good question because I don't think we know yet, mm. you know, owner operators are the last to adopt the things that, that, that they don't want. And, um, and and because they because they're they're given an opportunity by the government to kind of do it last because the government realizes how much it affects their businesses so um, I think what we're going to see is acceptance rate is going to is going to be high I, because I didn't see you know somebody so were are some predictions that oh we're going to lose ten to twenty percent of the market when ELDs become mandated yeah we didn't see any loss hardly inside the marketplace of guys unless they just wanted to retire I think what's going to happen is the same thing that happened with tracking that an owner operator can get a better rate if they agree to all the conditions of hauling the freight. So when you think about an ELD and what it can do, it actually can cost adjust for every single piece of the haul. So you can actually say, well, you know, I was detained at this location and it's not me saying it and me having to get, there's proof on my hours of service that I was at your location past the 45 minute loading and or unloading window. You kept me for three hours. And so what's going to happen is that I I believe, and, and, and we, as we look at this at truck stop, that the way in which freight is paid for is going to change over time because it's going to be based on time and not exactly on mileage. And, and you'll be able to get a fairer price for every piece of the freight haul. So to me, I don't think you're going to see a lot. There's always an adjustment curve, Chris, no matter what you do. There was about a 6% sure, sure. reduction in efficiency, which affects capacity for a short period of time. But then it comes right back up because once they learn how to use the technology. So I think you'll see a couple of percent, but you know that could make some waves. You know, that's a good question, though. But you raise a really good
0: point, Brent, the the importance of time. It used to be if you're short haul 250 miles, yeah, time matters a lot for 50 mile shuttle runs, all that. But long haul, yeah, it's not that much. If you talk to shippers, that's the that to me, that's the silver lining that came out of the 2017 to 2018 capacity crisis is that they finally got credibility in their own companies to go back and say, hey, we're causing some of this problem because we're taking three hours to unload and it's a ripple effect and this is what's causing the problem. So I think there's been a bigger focus across the board, shippers, carriers, brokers, everyone to try to... Streamline and focus on time.
1: How can you be more efficient? Have you have you noticed that as I well? I have absolutely. I can remember sitting at the CSCMP show, uh, listening to uh, some of the largest shippers in America talk about how to influence their their C suites and in, in the movement of tra- in the movement of freight because it, it's only a small part of the manufacturing end cost, right? So, and um, one of the statements was made that, and of course, this this is when pricing was at its all time most difficult for shippers. And I remember hearing one this one large shipper say we will always default to our deliveries over our prices because in the end we have to get the goods to our sellers or resellers. And if we if we don't we 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 hurt our business and and my job might be in question or their job might be in question. So the the, the reason that I say that is that it's detention or how long you are add a dock to do something is super important. And if you're known in the industry for slowing somebody's business down tremendously, then you may have a hard time finding a carrier that will come and get your freight. Shippers tell me this all the time. It's not like they pay a little more. They just can't get the right? capacity. Correct. Well, and, and the thing is, is that and if you look at numbers and you know, I'm I'm a math guy, so I'm always looking at the numbers. I'm uh, Not as good of a math guy as you, but I'm, I'm a pretty good math guy. So, wow. <laughs> so um, the last couple of things that are causing huge inefficiencies in the market, one of them is detention. It's about 5 to 6%. The, the other one is parking. It causes about 5 to 6%. That's a lot of profit coming out of a carrier who is subject to everything it takes to get the freight to where it has to go. So because we're all needed in this process, um, I think because technology will make everybody much more aware of all this or not technology, but data transference will will, will make people much more aware. You're going to find parties that are much more willing to work through the process in order to, in the end, get the freight where it needs to be on time. And if we do that, I agree. everybody ends up being much more happy with it.
0: I, I agree. I think uh, that's the big change I've seen over the last eh, 12 to 18 months is a more focus on the process, less on the you know head-to-head negotiation. That always happens for price, but focus on the process, right. time, taking time out of it to so the driver can be driving longer. I think on average, I saw the statistic, an over-the-road driver's
1: six and a half hours driving out of the 11 possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 60% use of, of available capacity. I, hey, you know, Eric Stark said something really cool at the FTR conference since you mentioned that earlier. He said... If you can get back 30 minutes at a dock on the carriers on one single truck per carrier, you get back 5% in efficiency. and That's a massive, massive number.
0: Yeah. David Correll, who's a researcher here at, uh, at MIT and is part of my freight lab, he did the quick calculation and it's uh, 12 minutes. If every driver can be made more efficient by 12 minutes that would solve the driver's uh, shortage. If you look at the total numbers, now it's obviously a big, you know, over simple, simple statement, but if you look at the math, that's what it comes down to. It's not that much. And so that it raises another question that we probably don't have time to answer today was, is there a driver shortage or is there a utilization crisis? And so maybe it's a mix of those two. It's
1: probably a little of both. And maybe if
0: you make it more, Uh, more efficient, you know, carriers get paid more if they drive more, it might make it more attractive. So it might be a virtuous circle, you know, as you do this, make it more attractive, more people come in and then maybe the capacity increases.
1: Yeah, no doubt. That's a great number. Um, I'll have to quote you on that. Yeah. Well, the article will come out
0: soon, hopefully before this podcast has come out. We'll see. Final question. Final question, Brent. And so autonomous trucks, how many years in the future Do you think it'll be before 50% of all the -the over-the-road freight is hauled by robots or autonomous trucks on the highway versus human drivers? Not last mile, just that line haul on the highways. How many years till it's half
1: robot, half human? Goodness. Um, I may have to answer you like Chris Spear from the (laughs) ATA does. Uh, (laughs) Well, and because I used to be really optimistic about when this would happen. You know, this was a decade ago and I said, oh, it'll be 10 to 15 years and we'll be down that road. And we're 10 to 15 years later. And we we got a lot more technology that they can put on. I mean, trucks can drive autonomously right now. I think the struggle is the same thing that Chris had mentioned um, at the ATA. He said, you know, he said, the issue is not necessarily the trucks. The issue is the passenger cars that Mm. are on the road with the trucks. Autonomy is not just based on trucks. It's based on all vehicles being able to move safely down the road. And certainly that's what we all want. I mean, I got to, I got the, the honor of being able to speak in front of the, the U S Senate transportation committee on, on this exact subject. And I was, they asked me that somewhat the same question. And I just said, you know, we've got to find a way for this autonomy to be a benefit to the entire marketplace from a standpoint of safety of working together because it's not necessarily the trucks that create the issue on the road uh, most of the time. So to me, if, if I, let, Bob, I, I, I'm happy to give you a number. Let's say. Yeah, you got, say, I, I was waiting for the number here. Man, you are sidestepping I'm, my number, Brent. <laughs> Never. Um, two decades.
0: I think so 20 years.
1: In 20 years. Okay. And, but, but I think we'll see a pretty good progression into controlled environments of autonomy pretty quick, you know, yards. Yeah. Um, I agree certain local areas that can be somewhat, um, uh, controlled and those sort of things. Yeah. I, th-
0: I think it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's already there. Uh, if you look at mining, there's a lot oh, of mining yeah, operations where it's yeah. autonomous yeah. in a yard, yeah. uh, railroads are doing this. I agree with you.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot. And it's, it's so funny to think back to 1995. I remember when truckstop.com first came out because I was writing my dissertation at the time. Oh, goodness. And, the, and that's, it suddenly appeared and it's like, oh my gosh, everything, you know, that welcome to the new internet age. And so it's, it was great
1: catching up with you and learning a little more about truckstop. Well, our pleasure. Thanks for having us on. And as always, we completely appreciate the relationship with Chainalytics. Okay,
0: so stay with us for the market update with Dr. Inami Yub next.
2: Welcome to the -the over-the-road truckload market update for October 24th, 2019. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. For dry van, active rates have been flat over the last two weeks whereas spot rates dropped by about 1%. Replacement rate is still negative and is about negative 3%. This means that the new contract rates are about 3% below the rates being replaced. On the term control side, active rates dropped half a percent over the last two weeks, whereas spot rates increased by about half a percent. Replacement rates are still negative and is about negative 4%. Finally on the intermodal side, active rates show a drop of half a percent and spot rates also dropped by about 1%. The replacement rates for intermodal is at negative 4%. Wow,
0: so this is pretty amazing, Enum, you know, we're seeing a 3 to 4% drop in the replacement rates for all three of the modes, drive-in, temp control, and intermodal. Do you think those trends will continue through fourth quarter or do you think there'll be a little bit of an adjustment with the fourth quarter push?
2: On dry van and temp control, I think the active rates will continue. There's nothing to show that trend is going to change. We might see some fluctuations in spot rate for the fourth quarter push. And you know, with that, the new rates might push a little bit. But overall, the trend seems to be going in the direction of rates dropping.
0: Okay. So what do you think of the takeaways for shippers?
2: I think the takeaways is the same as that we, what we have been telling the last few weeks. That those shippers who took a rate increase in 2018, primarily 2018, you should uh, d- definitely reevaluate your rates and you know get them reset uh, with your carriers if you have not already done so.
0: Well, that wraps up this Freightvine podcast. For me and Enam, thank you everyone for tuning in. Freightvine podcasts are produced and edited by Stephanie Bond and Abby Haney. As always, we hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the transportation freight fine, please send an email to podcast at chainalytics.com. Thanks again for listening.